Superman Forever Radio, Episode 82, The Adventures of Superman When He Was a Boy. than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings at a single bound, the instant of ship town is now the man of steel, Superman! Hello and welcome to Superman Forever Radio. I'm Bob Fisher. This is a show where I take an aspect of the long history of the great character Superman and talk about it. Before I get into the main theme of tonight's show, just wanted to say thank you to those of you who have sent me email. And if I haven't replied to you directly already, I will. And next episode, uh, I'm going to do the emails on the show. So, but just to let you know, I am blown away, absolutely blown away by the response over the last couple of um, weeks. This has been very nice. Thank you. You know, I plan to keep doing this. I hope, you know, to keep, you know, like I said, turn the microphone on every week or so and uh, talk about Superman. Thank you. There's some other stuff in the news. And again, if you're coming here for your news, this is not the place to come for news. But if you want some comments on certain aspects of the news, you know, I can probably do that. But, you know, I'm not doing a whole lot of investigative reporting here or stuff. For that, I'm going to go to the Superman homepage to get all the latest, greatest up to the minute stuff about Superman. I'm going to do that for there. But I might comment on what I find there here. See what I did there? <laughs> Almost like an ad. But go to there. The Superman homepage. Supermanhomepage.com um, Speaking of which, this weekend, a lot of my super friends, so to speak, are in Metropolis, Illinois for the Superman celebration there. And, boy, I wish I could be there, too. That would be a lot of fun. All the pictures. There's a lot of pictures, a lot of stuff coming in uh, through the social media and through the Superman homepage. So uh, I know they're having a great time. But anyway, yeah, there's, there's, there's a, a lot of stuff. And also there's uh, more rumors coming out of uh, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. But I'm not clicking on it. Even one of the headlines made me nervous, made me think, oh, I don't want to know that. Don't tell me that. And sometimes uh, I catch spoilers that I don't want because, as uh, as some of you know, my uh, vision is <laughs> yeah, it's not uh, is not. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I have a screen reader. So sometimes you're just highlighting text. Uh, I use a program called Text Aloud with a voice from AT and T natural voice mic 16K. Nice, high-quality, human-sounding voice, which you guys might get to hear eventually, actually. Sometimes when I highlight some text to read, I don't know what the text is until it jumps it, you know, says it. And once it's said it out loud, it's not like I can unhear it. So one of those headlines came across Facebook 
that I didn't want to know, didn't want to hear. I hope it's a rumor. I don't care, actually. No, I'm not even going to pay attention. It's not even there. It's been eliminated now from my memory banks. I don't even know what I was worried or thinking about. It's not even there anymore. And it will be a total surprise if it's in or not. So there. I'm not reading your spoilers. Okay, so uh, a short opening. That's what I just really wanted to say early on that uh, uh, I wish I was, you know, could be joining a lot of my other super friends in Metropolis. And and thanks for the emails. And I'm not going to repeat any rumors from the Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice movie. Let's get this show on the road, gang. I'm Batman. This looks like a job for Superman. Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at two true freaks. Libson.com. As early as nineteen thirty eight, Superman creator Jerry Siegel tried to pitch to DC a new character. And they tried not just once in nineteen thirty eight, the very year Superman was published, but many times after that to pitch this new character. But DC just didn't think that that type of a character could sustain its own story, could be the leader of its own story, until actually after the success of Robin the Boy Wonder. Once they saw the feedback they were getting from Batman's boy sidekick, DC finally decided in 1945 to publish in the issue More Fun Comics, number 101, the third story, in that comic would be the origin of Superboy. Now this is, you know, as, as every, it seems every story revolving around the relationship between Jerry Siegel and DC comics, there seems to be some controversy and this is no different. Uh, as I said, Siegel had pitched the idea of Superboy since literally 1938 and DC said no. And then, as I said, Robin became popular. DC said, okay. But they did so in 1945. Jerry Siegel was out of the country and didn't even know that they had published his story, even though they had gotten Joe Schuster to actually draw it. So in that issue of More Fun Comics, number 101, is a story written by Jerry Siegel, drawn by Joe Schuster. And Siegel had no idea it had been published. 
So it, it gets a lot more even complicated than that. Every time it seems like you turn a page where it involves Jerry Siegel and DC, uh, DC Comics, there's, there is just something going on. So uh, an interesting story. But anyway, uh, right after More Fun Comics, it didn't take long uh, before he started appearing in Adventure Comics. And again, soon became the, the, the lead story in Adventure Comics before he got his own comic and pretty much sustained his own comic through different variations through the years from, from that point on. So from 1945, basically, until 1986, when John Byrne rebooted Superman and did away with Superboy. Uh, until that time, Superboy had been in his own title in one form or another, either as Superboy on its own or Superboy with the Legion of Superheroes, uh, or again as headlining or in the new adventures of Superboy. I mean, it, it, well, anyway, right up until 80, 86 with the reboot by John Byrne. And to this day, I think that was one of, I know there's mixed feelings about this. My opinion is that that was a mistake on John Byrne's part. To totally do away with Superboy, meaning the adventures of Superman when he was a boy. Whether he has the costume or not, you know, and I think Smallville even proved that there there are plenty of stories to be told about Superman growing up in Smallville. Whether he has all of the powers or not, and 10 years worth of Smallville proved that. I personally like the idea of having a young super-powered boy learning to use those powers while learning to what it means to be uh, human. And he gets those, those, those things, you know, and this brings up another point, to be honest with you, where from the beginning, Superman had no parents as an adult. They had died, whether it was the uh, uh, very beginning like I said earlier, where he just jumps out of the rocket, makes up the identity, and had no adopted parents at all in the radio show and even in the original. It took a while, took a while before they invented the Kents who uh, adopted him and raised him. But once the Kents had been established, that brings in the humanity part, the Clark Kent part. And I think he needs that. And we as readers need to see that part of his life because it then makes it more believable of the ideals of truth justice in the American way so to speak of the adult Superman the guy who wants to always do the right thing because it's the right thing to do if he were here as an infant how was that instilled in him is that part of his DNA of course not that's something he grew up he learned those attributes and he learned them from the people around him growing up and his parents. Now, pri- previous to that in the 60s, the Kents were, were, in fact, were not farmers. They had sold the farm and were uh, uh, owners and bought the general store in Smallville and kind of lived in the suburbs. And Lana Lang was their next door neighbor. And we'll get into that in one of the issues we talk about here today, too. But... Uh, what Byrne did was um, uh, take that away. He basically said there was no Superboy. He didn't get his full powers until he was an adult. 
So there was no Superboy. There was only Superman, and he became Superman after he moved away and went to, to Metropolis and did away with Superboy entirely. But to counter the, 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 the upbringing that he got, he still had the parents, but he let the parents live, the, the adopted parents, uh, into adulthood. Into his, so they were still alive while he was Superman, uh, uh, similar to Lois and Clark. If you were familiar, not with the comics, but any of the other media, you may have watched Lois and Clark, where they took a lot from this, where the Kents, his parents were still alive as he was a Metropolis reporter and meeting Lois and moved on, etc. That was not how it was in the in the Silver Age. So, to me, when you got rid of the Superboy character, unless you have those stories that show him as a boy, you miss something. You don't get you know, the value stories, the little things that show why as Superman he became this thing, this this entity, and something to uh, aspire to and look up to. It was because of him growing up in Smallville and because of, in large part, the Kents, who taught him that with that kind of power, you need to be open. With that kind of power, You cannot appear to be a threat. So Superman is one of the few, quote, superheroes, costumed characters that doesn't wear the mask. That, as we spoke and talked about in a previous episode, Clark Kent versus Superman, which is the real guy. Well, you know, Clark Kent is a disguise, but he's also the real guy. But physically, he's a disguise. But the character who has all of the power, Superman, does not wear a mask. And that is to give the impression that he is open and out there and letting people see he is not a threat that he's here to help. There's a reason for the brighter colors that he wears, for those same very reasons. That there's nothing dark and sinister about Superman. He is open, honest, true blue. Not a threat. I'm here to help. What can I do? And that came from the Kents, not from Jor-El, not from Krypton. So anyway, we get to the to the the '80s reboot, and since you know, since Byrne did away with Superboy, that made some complications with the Legion of Superhero, and there were some you know domino effects of that. And I'm sorry they didn't find a way to work Superboy in until later and others writers have done the other so that's when they started coming up with uh with the clone uh ideas of well we'll we'll bring in a clone and they just haven't been able to in my mind make the clone thing work yet uh i think one of the closest things well, i don't even want to say the closest one of the ones that I kind of enjoyed or enjoyed the most of the clone Superboys was one of the first ones when it was being drawn in the 90s uh, after the, the death and return. It was part of the return of uh, uh, the four Supermen and which one is the real one and one of them being Superboy. Don't call me Superboy. I thought he was pretty funny because he had a sense of humor and plus he was being drawn by Tom Grummet and it 
it really doesn't get much better than Tom Grummet. I'd like to see Tom Grummet drawing uh, today. I think it'd be great to see Tom Drummet draw a literally classic Superboy of Silver Age Superboy. I'd love to see that. I think it would just be outstanding. But there was a great scene, actually. One of the, the scenes that just really turned me on to that particular uh, Superboy, there was a scene in, in I, oh, geez, I forget which, which issue it was, but early on when he talks to Lois, when this young Superboy is talking to the clone, talking to, to Lois, and he he's, uh, pulls his hair back and puts a pair of round, like almost John Lennon sunglasses on now, but puts a pair of glasses on, slicks his hair back and says, hey, sweetie, remind you of anybody? <laughs> oh, I laughed out loud. It was very funny. And the other time, actually, I think they had, were, they did a clone Superboy that I was a uh, a likable character was in Young Justice, the animated series. Uh, I think they were doing some interesting things with him. But as far as the other clones they've been doing, and especially in the New 52, and I gave it a long shot in the New 52, I stuck with Superboy all the way into the culling and then finally just dumped it, even though I wanted to dump it after the first three issues, actually. Um, they're it's, they, they've just not the clone Superboys that they keep putting on us to me maybe they would work if they just had a different name if they were some other character and didn't try to pretend and something but the characters that they have been putting on us as Superboy do not deserve to wear that shield just haven't been an enjoyable read at all so I, I gave up on the new 52 during the calling culling and I haven't gone back to to that Superboy and I just think that the clone type Superboy full of angst you know firing people away with different powers but that's another little pet peeve I have when they take a Superboy or a Superman clone or someone else from Krypton and because of oh it's a woman let's give her you know these powers you know all Kryptonians should have the same powers, maybe to varying degrees because of this effect or that or that reason. But, you know, all of a sudden, oh, we mix some human DNA and now he has telekinesis. What? What? No. 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 That's just you trying to bring in a different character and putting Superboy shield on it to make it sellable. They're saying it's a clone, but sorry. <clears throat> Anyway, I think DC, as I said before, has an opportunity to do a real Superboy based on the Grant Morrison run. Grant Morrison showed us that, yes, we know one thing is fact, that from an early age he had the cape from the rocket and used it as we've seen. We know that from a very early age, because this is canon, this is the reboot, this was the new 52 Superman, that was this universe Superman. Graham Morrison said in that episode that from an early age, 12, 13 years old, he met the original three members of that would become the Legion of Superheroes. Just knowing that gives you years of stories. And it brings in the Kents 
which are in the New 52, not alive with the adult Superman. It's set up, folks. It's there. Superboy stories that involve the Legion of Superheroes in some degree or another, at least those first three characters, and the Kents. It's Smallville without Smallville because he does have some powers. He can fly through the help of the others. He can keep it local, and there we get to see the Jonathan and Martha Kent teaching him to use his powers wisely and what it means to be human. So that all this stuff we would be seeing in Superman that were finally through Greg Pak, actually, in Action Comics, starting, I think, to, to really see a real Superman who is in control and has the right thoughts, we would start to see that and get rid of this baby-faced Superman, in quotes, making all of these stupid mistakes and being some, you know, junior character in the uh, Justice League. That's my little rant. I want to see this Superboy. I want to see the 12, 13, 14-year-old just beginning, learning his stuff from the Kents, When they tell me the next issue is called Superboy, it would be really nice if it meant the adventures of Superman when he was a boy. That's my soapbox. That's what I'd like to see. So now, Bob, you're probably going to tell us about a Superboy story that you have for us that epitomizes what you have been standing on your soapbox, that this is going to be a great Superboy story, showing the Kent's great knowledge, him learning something to become Superman in the future, that, no, no, the stories we're going to talk about, we're picking them because they were my first Superboy stories, not because they have any importance at all. Although one of them uh, I think you'll find very interesting. And that'll be the first one we get up to, right after this. Why do you think superheroes are so important? People need heroes because they need somebody to inspire them, something to aim for, somebody to try to be like. One is the man of tomorrow powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. The other, the caped crusader, carrying out a solemn vow to spend his life warring on all criminals. For seven decades, they've been the world's finest heroes. They've teamed on radio, comics, newspapers, animation, and more. And now, they're teaming up for a podcast. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Up. Oh, and away! Atomic batteries. Turbines to speed. Roger. Superman and Batman celebrates more than 70 years of the world's finest team with randomly chosen stories featuring the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight. Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. Find it today at greatcrypton.com. Well, I have no idea if that made any sense at all. But I, I, I think I got the point across. I think that the idea of a Superboy, the adventures of Superman as a boy, can work. 
So, um, but anyway, on to today's comics. Adventure Comics number 168, September 1951. Approximate shipping dates sometime around uh, mid-July of 1951, according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. The main story, oh, the cover is by J. Winslow Mortimer. Fun cover. Shows Superboy flying, uh, Lana Lang looking up at him, and another boy looking up at Superboy, saying, uh, basically, I know you're Clark Kent. And he's holding a book. He's got a magnifying glass in his hand, a little Sherlock Holmes hat on, a book under his arm that says uh, how to be a great detective. And he knows Superboy is Clark Kent. Now, in these days, um, Adventure Comics was what would be called an anthology comic. That it had multiple stories. This one is 52 pages, and it had multiple stories in it of different characters. So this, this particular book, 52 pages, had four stories in it. Adventure Comics number 168 had four stories in it. Uh, the first one was a Superboy story, then there was an Aquaman story, then a Johnny Quick story, and finally a Green Arrow story. The one we're going to be talking about is The Boy Who Outsmarted Superboy, written by William Woolfolk, W-O-O-L-F-O-L-K, Woolfolk, art by John Sakala, longtime Superboy artist. This is an interesting story, actually. 1951, interesting story. Like a lot of stories, and and in fact, uh, let's talk about the date first, 1951. Because, you know, there's this big question about when did the Silver Age start? And a lot of people will say that it was uh, the the showcase in 1954, the issue of showcase that had the first uh, uh, appearance of Flash, of the modern age Flash, Barry Allen Flash. Um, but you know, that, that's 1954. So what you're basically trying to say then is that the golden age went from 1938 and the first appearance of Superman all the way to 1954 with the appearance of flash. And I think that's, you know, uh, interesting, but that really doesn't describe because the whole, everything about the silver age is different It's a whole different way of telling stories, of drawing, of the art uh, in the Silver Age than in the Golden Age. And what is that transition? It wasn't a cold, hard, uh, overnight, you know, transition from the gold to the silver. And a couple of years ago, when I, I have a database program, and a couple of years ago when I was entering comics into it, uh, one of my comics from 1946 or seven. When I looked at the genre or, or, or the uh, age, it has a, a category for age, which it autofills. And for the age of that, it said atomic. And I went, oh, interesting. So what they're basically saying is that sometime post-World War II to sometime early 50s, so say 46 to 53, 54, they're calling the Atomic Age. So you've got the Golden Age from 38, let's say, to 46, and then a few years transition into the Silver Age, and we'll take the Silver Age from 54 through 1970, maybe, a long period of time. 
I will actually say that some of the stories in the Atomic Age, like the ones we're talking about today, one from 1951, definitely not in, even though I originally thought, you know, and used to consider it a Golden Age comic, uh, really is not a Golden Age. The story inside is more Silver Age-ish than Golden Age, but not full-fledged Silver Age. So the Atomic Age kind of fits it, whereas the second story is very similar, but it's from 1956 Adventure Comics, which would uh, plan it in the early beginnings of the Silver Age. So, just a little interesting piece of babble there, I think, between the aging and the timing of things and how it's based. But I think the storytelling is very interesting because in the first story, again, the first one is called... Uh, the boy who outsmarted Superboy. And as I was starting to say, a lot of the Silver Age stories of both Superman and Superboy revolved around him protecting his secret identity. I used to think sometimes as a kid, you know, if you just really get rid of Clark Kent, a lot of your life would be uh, a lot simpler. But it isn't that easy. So anyway... The, the first story about the boy who outsmarted Superboy. And this is very interesting. And we'll start right on the cover. Now, the cover, as I said, has three people on the cover. Shows Superboy flying over, Lana Lang looking up at him, and a little, uh, little chubby boy pointing up at Superboy. And the boy's got a magnifying glass, a Sherlock Holmes, and a detective book under his arm. And says, uh, basically, that he knows that you, Superboy, are Clark Kent. How does he know that? That's the story. Uh, and very interesting about who that little boy is. I'll give you five seconds to decide who is that boy. Five, four, three, two. No idea? Well, he made one appearance in the entire history of DC Comics. It's in this episode or issue. One appearance. You never, you didn't see him until now, and we'll never see him again. His name is Ronald Lang. And no, he's not some distant relative cousin of Lana visiting for this one episode issue where he could easily come in and just be never thought of ever again. He's her little brother. Yeah, Lana Lang has a little brother. wonder if that's in Who's Who. Shag? Rob? Ronald Lang. The only appearance was in Adventure Comics number 168 and it happens to be the first Superboy comic I ever read. <laughs> Amazing. The story again revolves around Superboy having to protect his secret identity and uh, getting out of a date with Lana Lang. Yes, getting out of a date with Lana Lang. Now in this time period in the life of Superboy, the Kents were not farmers. They did not own a farm. They owned the general store in downtown Smallville. Uh, in fact, a lot of the adventures took place with sometimes Clark uh, having on his bike making deliveries for the general store. But anyway, uh, yeah, the, the Kents owned a general store and they lived in kind of the suburbs, you know, right outside the town limits of Smallville, basically, not far from the town limits. And uh, we're next door neighbors to the Langs, where Lana Lang lives. So Superboy, Clark Kent, and Lana Lang were next door neighbors. And that's why eventually 
uh, he will dig the tunnel through their basement that takes him out into the woods, a secret tunnel, so he can, you know, get away and change and et cetera, et cetera. But in this particular episode, some things happen that put his secret identity in jeopardy. And they're all caused by this little kid, Lena Lang's little brother. Very clever. And one of the things that happens, and, and it goes on, but the, 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 the first thing that happens that the kid really almost puts him on the trail, that gets him thinking and making him think it is, he squirts a lot of perfume, a big, heavy perfume, takes Lena Lang's perfume bottle and squirts a lot of perfume into Clark's window all over Clark. And then creates a big boom sound next door that makes it seem like there's trouble at Lana, Lana's house. So Superboy shows up smelling like the perfume he just sprayed into Clark Kent's apartment. Very clever. And he accuses him right then of it being there. And he doesn't, and Superboy flies off. They make some excuse. He helps Lana with her dress because the kid has ruined something. And there's all, there's some smoke and there's some other little things. So now the kid is, is going to try following. So he puts his disguise, he gets a disguise kit. And it's very funny, actually. Uh, this little kid putting a disguise kit on, you know, a big heavy mustache and a raincoat. And it's obvious. And it's just really stupid. Uh, remember that stories were written for little kids back then, or at least 10 year olds. So anyway, uh, the kid, you know, the kid puts a disguise on and starts following Clark Kent all around town. And Clark goes through uh, all of these machinations, all of this unbelievable Silver Age shenanigans. So to fool this kid, so that the kid would then report these things back, so that nobody would believe him. For example, uh, uh, Superboy makes this uh, uh, goes to this cave where he leads the kid, and inside the cave are these huge, huge figures that Superboy has made. Uh, anyway, he just goes on to the one super feat after another to make nothing he says believable, so that nobody will believe what he said about him of any of these things so that then they wouldn't take him seriously when he accuses Superboy of being Clark Kent. So Superboy's big plan is to discredit the kid entirely and make him out to be this big liar. So eventually he confronts Lana with this and Lana says he said that he, you know, sprayed, uh, he told me what he had done and why he thinks you're, you're Clark Kent, Superboy. And Superboy says, Lena, um, there must have been something wrong with the uh, perfume bottle, the atomizer. Go get it. And Lana says, well, there's nothing wrong with it. I already used it this afternoon. So she brings it in and Superboy uses his heat vision to uh, screw with it so that when she sprays it at him, it actually sprays her and puts this huge amount of perfume on her. Well, previously in the story, by the way, Lana's mother had called Clark's mother, Mrs. Lang had called Mrs. Kent, to say that uh, uh, Lana's date, something had happened that he could not ta- escort her to the, uh, the big dance coming up. And Mrs. Kent promised that Clark would then take Lana. And now remember who this is marketed at, because Clark sees this as a problem. Girls are icky. Lana, ew. Incredible. So anyway, back to the story. Once Lana thinks that it must have been a problem because Superboy said that, see, the atomizer is broken. You just sprayed yourself, which is what your little brother did. 
And he was smelling himself thinking he was smelling me. So Lana says, oh, gee whiz. So Clark goes back, or Superboy goes back finally, and later that evening changes into Clark, gets dressed up to go pick up Lana. And when he gets to the door to pick her up, Lana is not ready and says, I'm sorry, Clark, I can't go with you to the dance tonight. I accidentally sprayed too much perfume on myself. And I just am too embarrassed or smell too bad to go. And then it shows Clark thinking, well, even though his little brother gave me a real problem, in the end, I should thank him for getting me out of a date with Lana. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. It was... (laughs) I know. I know. But it was better than that synopsis made it. I actually kind of liked it. The art was fun, but it was all... It was just so... So many... So many... So many what we would call, I guess, Silver Age plot holes that obviously when you're writing one short story meant for a 10-year-old... Uh, you're not thinking that uh, some adult is going to be reading it seriously um, 60 years later. So, in fact, 60, what was that, 51, did we say? Wow, 63 years ago. So, <laughs> amazing. But anyway, that was the first Superboy story I ever read, was a story about uh, Lana Lang's little brother proving that Superboy is Clark Kent by spraying him with perfume. It's actually very clever, very clever idea. And then setting a trap for him to show up right away. It was very clever. Though I enjoyed it for that for that reason. And the artwork I really enjoyed. It's really simple but great artwork. Uh, it really defines a great little character. They all look like young people, like teenagers. There's good facial acting on them. But I think the interesting part of this story is the fact that this is... Uh, the kid is his name was Ronald Lang, and uh, other than this one time in an early, I mean, Superboy was now six years old at this point. Not six in the comics, but he had been published now for six years at this point. And Lana had been around for most of that time, but never a mention of her having a younger brother until today or this issue, and then never again after this issue. oh god I love stuff like that well I needed a little brother so says Mr. Woolfolk and just decided to put one in okay great (laughs) that's great so no there are no big life lessons learned in this one other than you know Clark's method of saving his secret identity was to discredit this kid (laughs) incredible Okay, the next one, Adventure Comics, number 228, a few years later. And again, uh, not the first Superboy comic I ever read. But in the same summer where I first found Superman and Superboy, uh, this was the first comic bought for me off the racks. And uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. (laughs) 
up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Adventure Comics number 228. Now this one is almost exactly five years after the first one we just talked about. This one um, has a cover date of September 1956 and was shipped in July of that year. For 10 cents, of course, edited by Mort Weisinger, the cover. And this is another one of those great things in my little life. This is actually the first comic that I can remember someone actually buying for me off the rack. And it's got a Kurt Swan cover. And it's a very good cover. A cover of, in the background, a building is on fire. And Clark is trying to get away to change to Superboy. And there's a man, an adult, in a blue trench coat and a white hat, stopping him. The name of the episode is something about like Clark Kent's bodyguard, which we'll get into. But, you know, when I say that, that this is the first one I remember someone buying for me. If you'll uh, listen to episode 79 of Superman Forever Radio, which has my origin story, you'll remember that my first comic books that I read didn't belong to me. They belonged to my cousin uh, or one or both of my cousins or my uncles. And they were in a trunk in a barn in Manteo, North Carolina. The first one we did today, Adventure 168, was in that trunk. That was one of the comics in that trunk. This one, Adventure Comics number 228, I classify as a Manteo comic, but it didn't come out of the trunk. It came off the rack in Manteo. Where in Manteo? Well, in downtown Mayberry, haha, <laughs> Manteo, there was a movie theater, and a very tiny movie theater. I have no idea right now how many I haven't been there in years and years but um, it, a small movie theater seemed large again as a kid but I'm sure it was very small but right next door to the movie theater in those days was uh, a drugstore and it was the kind of drugstore you would have seen and in uh, you know in old TV shows of, of the time period that did a little bit of everything had you know your tradition your regular uh, pharmacy department but it also had uh, you know a drug counter and uh, but a a, a, a drawing a blank now but you know a, a lunch counter type place and some booths and at the end I remember of this uh, short row of booths was a spinner rack now imagine I had just earlier in either that week or that month probably just that week earlier in the week um, had discovered comic books for the first time. And now we're in the drugstore and here's a spinner rack with comic books on it. Well, you know, I was drawn right to it. Um, since this was probably Saturday, as I remember the story. Now, again, I was a little kid, so I'm sure the memory of this is is a little different than the way I remember it because I'm not remembering adults being there. But seeing as I was probably four and a half or so and my cousin then was maybe six i doubt seriously if that saturday we were there 
uh, going to the movies and in that drugstore by herself. So either my older cousin was there with us or one of our parents. There had to have been someone there. But again, it was it was a Mayberry type town. It was not unusual for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten year old kids to be running around unsupervised. I mean, it was just there was adults around too watching little kids. I mean, you know, it was small town family, whatever. So anyway, here was probably a Saturday. We had gone to watch the, the Saturday morning movies. Uh, which included a bunch of cartoons and serials and westerns and maybe a Flash Gordon or who knows what it was. I don't remember at the time. But after the movie, we went for lunch next door to the drugstore. And I remember getting a hamburger and a Coke and a comic book. And the comic book, there weren't many comics on the rack, which that again makes me think it was uh, uh, at the same time Saturday. And again, I remember no adults being around. I remember my cousin buying it for me. But uh, thinking back, I doubt it could have been him because, again, he couldn't have been more than six. So probably my older cousin bought it for me. Uh, But I remember the rack being somewhat bare, not a whole lot of comics on it. So it told me it was the end of the week. It was already Saturday. Everybody had already been there and gotten the week's comics or whatever. But I saw that in the corner of this one, as I told the cover, it had the building on fire. The man in the blue trench coat with the white hat stopping Clark Kent from changing into Superboy. And uh, a poster on the wall of one of the buildings of Superboy. And when I saw the Superboy, and that's what drew my eye to it, was the Superboy poster on the wall. So I probably would not have picked this comic had I not seen that little Superboy because I don't remember any other Superman or any other super things being there. So I picked that comic. I remember looking at it. Again, I could barely read, if at all. I couldn't read. It was the first summer. I'm, you know, just learning to read. And I remember sitting there looking through that, that adventure number 228. And I still have that comic. That's what we're going to talk briefly about that first little story in that called Clark Kent's Bodyguard. Uh, Mort Weisinger is the editor of that. Clark Kent's Bodyguard, written by Alan Schwartz, drawn by John Sakella. This was an interesting little story, and it does include uh, a brief conversation with Jonathan that is that is kind of cool. But the basic idea is that a witness to a crime is killed, and then we realize that Clark is also a witness. So the man who is accused of the crime who Clark says he saw somewhere else, has hired a bodyguard to make sure Clark doesn't also die so that um, he can testify that he saw the defendant at this other place at the time of the crime. Well, the basic idea here is, is obvious. Now that Clark Kent has a bodyguard who's going to be following him all the time, what do we do? Oh, now we're going to just set up a whole bunch of things where uh, Superboy is required to see how Superboy uh, gets away from the bodyguard to take care of, of the problem. And we see this in several different cases. One of the time is a tornado, for example. And the bodyguard grabs him and takes him into an alley, and Clark jumps into uh, uh, what almost looks like a dumpster with a lock on it. But Clark jumps into there and then seals it shut so that the bodyguard can't get him out. And Clark does the drilling underground again idea Uh, I wonder how many times in the history of Superman has he done that, where he's put in a situation and then drills underground to get away. So anyway, he does that. He locks the, gets the sealed top so that the bodyguard can't get him out of there. He drills underground. 
far enough away so that then he can go and take care of the, the task at hand. And other things like that happen, okay? Um, but what happened then is, as we, one of the scenes I was telling you about is that why Clark decides to come forward and let the defendant know and let the police know that he also saw the defendant elsewhere is a little conversation he had with his father where Jonathan Kent basically sets up the scenario but doesn't point blank tell Clark what to do, leaving it to Clark to say, well, it's my duty, my civic duty, then I really need to do the right thing as a citizen. Little moments like that are peppered throughout the history of Superboy comics. I mean, that one was uh, three or four panels on one page. Basically, Jonathan Kent sitting at the breakfast table, reading the newspaper about the news and what had happened and the death of the other witness. What we actually find out in the story, by the way, and we'll get to the end of the story, what we actually find out in the story is that the defendant was guilty, but he had hired an actor to play him. That's how he was in two places at once. So Superboy was able to slip away from the, the bodyguard periodically, time and time again, uh, to then solve the crime himself and, and get things straight. Uh, a really good story, actually. Though the art was exactly the same artist, by the way, as did the first story in 1951, five years later. There are some improvements. There's more detail. There's more, um, the S is more defined. But still, obviously, John Sakella, you would not mistake it for anyone else. And a good story. Really good story. Enjoyed it a lot. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice. Blind justice. A guardian devil. (coughs) No, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's, it's my Daredevil. You get it. You get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners and the great feats of editing not yet performed. This is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this Ultra- Of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. 
and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. To briefly summarize, to kind of get the point across, I believe that stories about Superman when he was a boy would work even in today's modern comic environment. In fact, if, if I were in charge of uh, DC Comics, <laughs> well, if I was in charge of DC Comics, there'd be a lot of different things going on than just this, but... Uh, but let's just say not even in charge. Let's just say that I can make a suggestion in this one little area to the powers that be at DC. This is what I would do if I if I had Dan DiDio or I guess Jim Lee, co-publisher. Either one, but I, I would assume that if Dan DiDio wants something published, he can get it done. But this is what I would suggest. I would, I, If I were he, I would uh, get on the phone and get... Uh, in touch with, if I were he, I'd get in touch with Sholly Fish, who wrote some incredible backup stories in Action Comics and some of the early Action Comics behind the Grant Morrison stories of the New 52. But I would get in touch with Sholly Fish and a personal favorite, Tom Grummet, and I would show them both the last page of the main story in Action Comics Volume 2, Number 6 by Grant Morrison and Andy Kubert. And I would even offer it if, you know, if you didn't want, want Grummet, I would even offer it to, to Andy Kubert, who actually drew the panel. But I would show them that page. I would show Sholly Fish, Tom Grummet, that page, the last main, the last page of the main story in Action Comics number six. Show it to both of them and say, now here, give me a couple of dozen stories based on that. Now, if DC, if you're if you're worried that it wouldn't sell, well, I think it would sell like proverbial hotcakes. But if you're worried that it wouldn't sell, it would be a perfect idea then for one of the digital firsts in an Adventures of Superboy. Or Adventures of Superman when he was a boy. Not Smallville, because this kid's got the cape. He's not ashamed to wear it. And we get stories about Jonathan and Martha teaching him when it's appropriate to use that cape with his powers. I think it'd be terrific. So, get on it. Charlie Fish, Tom Grummet, The New Adventures of Superboy. The New 52 Adventures of Superboy. There you go. It's sitting there. It's waiting for you. It's right there. You're welcome. Okay, and now just real quick, uh, before I close out, I uh, urge all of you, just for fun stuff, while well, got Superboy on the brain since it's free and it's easy to get to if you go to YouTube and do a search for Superboy TV Pilot 1961 I think you'll enjoy that that pilot for that TV show I'd watch that show in a heartbeat I'd watch it right now if, if, they, uh, if those shows were on the air it's about the silver age of Superboy with Chief Parker and Jonathan and Martha Kent and it's, it's the Superboy we were just talking about. 
So uh, watch that. that that's uh, a fun, fun TV pilot. I'd also urge you, encourage and urge, if you're interested in Superboy and want to see some, the 80s TV show that lasted four seasons. The Salkinds produced it, the producers of the uh, Superman movies, the Christopher Reeve movies. And it looks that way. It's what it looks like. It's got that look. It's got the Christopher Reeve feel to it. It's one of those occasions where the later uh, seasons, I think, got better than the first. Unlike Lois and Clark, I think the first season was its high watermark. But those are discussions for future episodes. So I might return to this topic of Superboy again in the future, because that's kind of where my uh, head is right now. In fact, in my collecting, my comic collecting, uh, those are some of the holes I'm trying to fill in. Silver Age adventure comics and Superboy comics. Uh, They seem to be a lot more reasonable than Superman or action, for example, at the same time period. Although I have all the Superman. uh, The Superman that I need now... It's getting way too expensive to fill in those holes. I've got some holes in action comics in the same time period that I wouldn't mind filling, but uh, that I'd love to fill. But right now I'm kind of concentrating on adventure comics and Superboy comics. Reading these for this show kind of, you know, rekindled those interests again and, I, and thinking, you know, these were just really fun stories. And the first one, the little detective, boy playing detective, was fun. And uh, the second one had some uh, mystery and some civics in it and a little murder mystery with a twist at the end. So highly recommended on both of them for both uh, for different reasons. But anyway, that'll do it for now. But before I go, I'd just like to remind you to send me some email. Bob at SupermanForever.com Let me know what you think about the whole Superboy thing. Would you like to see some... Adventures of Superman when he was a boy. Or do you like the clone? Maybe you like what's going on in the New 52. Again, I dropped out at the culling. Maybe some good things have happened, and I'm just guessing at what they have, by uh, by a, a few brief headlines that I've seen, uh, I'm just guessing at what they have planned for the new Superboy. But send me some email. Let me know what you think. Bob at supermanforever.com And come back next time. For an all-new episode of Superman Forever Radio, I'm Bob Fisher. Superman is based on the original character appearing in Action Comics and Superman Magazine. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. All copyrights are owned by DC Comics. The copyrights to any music that was played in this episode are those of the copyright holders. All of this is done for entertainment purposes only. There's no profit, no money made for this. Send comments to Bob at SupermanForever.com and check out the website, SupermanForever.com.